Hello everybody, Dr. F. Scott Field here, and I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor. The NPTE Final Frontier is the review course that I wish was around when I took the board exam. For those of you who know my story, it took me a handful of times to pass that exam, and quite frankly, I really wish I had an, an, an exam review course around, uh, just like the NPTE Final Frontier. Uh, check out their website, NPTEFF.com. And use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. F. Scott Field. And I've got with us today a very special guest, um, Dr. Elizabeth Scala. But I want you to just take a pause here and, and work with me. Just, just bear with me for a minute here. Because we are stepping outside of healthcare education for a little bit. We're going back to my English major days, but it's with good, good purpose, I promise. We're going to look at teaching outside the box. And, uh, you know, we think about that a lot and how we can bring better teaching methods and, and, and better ways for our students to learn. And so today we're going back to the English major in me, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how Dr. Scala uses Taylor Swift's music teach her students English. So thank you so much, Dr. Scala, for coming on. And if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about your academic journey and how it led you to where you're at. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. That is such a huge uh, topic. I always tell people I ended up as an English professor by accident. I do mean that because I was pretty sure I was going to go to medical school when I was in high school. Um, and I went to college with that idea. I took English courses for fun. Um, and I actually took medieval English courses for fun. That was my very particular area of interest from the very beginning. And those courses, um, turned out to be a lot more difficult than I expected learning, you know, in historically antecedent form of our language, which, you know, it's not quite German, but it's got, you know, it's, it doesn't quite look like English all the time or right. sound like English all the time. But I found that very interesting to read this older form of English. And so I just kind of kept taking it for fun. And then I, you know, had that typical crisis one has in college where what seemed really fun and what I was sure about in high school was no longer so. And I, I, I kind of jumped around from a bunch of uh, science and math subjects until I kind of, I kept, I kept the medieval and Renaissance studies major as my second major, but then I realized I had all these extra English courses. So I, pulled together a double major um, in English and MedRen studies and uh, applied to graduate school kind of on a lark at the beginning of, or the end of the first semester of my senior year and was lucky enough to land in a graduate program uh, that was very good in medieval studies. And so I thought, you know, I would try it out and see and see how that worked. And, you know, no one has really stopped me. So here I so here I am at the University of Texas. I love it. Uh, my, I have a very similar journey. For those of you who've listened to the show for a while, obviously, you know, I was named after F. Scott Fitzgerald. My dad was an English teacher on Long Island for many, many years, um, but he didn't want to name me Francis, which was F. Scott Fitzgerald's first name. So he left it as just F. So uh, my first name is literally just the letter F, which is cool until you turn 16. Then everything, you know, legal document wise gets screwed up. So that's nice. Thanks, Pops. Uh, but anyway, you know, I was English major all throughout college just because I was pretty good at it, right? My dad started me and my brother reading and writing at a very early age. We wrote a lot of the classics early on. So we were seeing it for the second, third time, even by, you know, time high school and college rolled around. Mm -hmm. So I was very appreciative of that. I was always just very good at it, right? I got some AP credits, which was nice. I placed out a bunch of freshman English. 
But then I, I hit that same point you did. I got to senior year and I was like, I don't really want to do anything with English. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I don't want to teach. I don't want to read. I don't want to write. Don't want to edit. What do I do? So I, I volunteered at the hospital and luckily they put me in the PT department and I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, that looks cool. I could do that. You know, they're playing with patients they're batting balloons around like this looks fun. You know, uh, then I looked at the prereqs and I was like, nope, don't have that. Don't have that. Don't have that. So took a whole nother year to get those prereqs done, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it worked out and it served me very well because I think my English background has really helped with communication, you know, and just, uh, the, a decent command of the English language, which has been yeah. nice. Uh, you know, my reading and my writing was always pretty good and, and it's led me to a lot of creative outlets, which here we are now doing a podcast, wow. right? Absolutely. Not a whole lot of PTs, uh, doing podcasts these days, but it's starting to gain some momentum. So that's great. Um, but let's get into the meat and potatoes of today's episode here. You've taken a really hip, cool, trendy topic, and I will admit guilty here uh, as a Taylor Swift fan. My my kids love it. We listen to Taylor Swift on the way to school in the mornings, and I'm a fan. I think she's a great songwriter. Uh, she's got, I think, an honorary doctorate now, I think, from NYU. Yes. So yes. she's just, you know, crushing it in all areas of life. But, uh, you know, pop culture, a number one. Tell us how this this came to be. How did you start even thinking about using Taylor Swift to teach English? Okay, well, like two things, and we are in some harmonic convergence together because I grew up in Brooklyn, so I'm at the other tip. Of I slip New York, right? yeah, I yeah. slip New York. Okay, so um, I just want to throw that out there to you, <laughs> but honestly, it's the kids' thing again, right? So I'm always trying to get my students to get interested in stuff that they think they're not interested in, right? And that's like the name of my game. It's like I wind up always teaching courses that fulfill some kind of requirement and they're like kind of bored with Shakespeare and they think they've done that. So they wander into my Chaucer class and they don't know what they're doing. And there I am and I'm like, okay, now you have to learn Middle English. And, you know, I have to cajole them a little bit to get them to do it. And what I wind up Teaching them is that this boring old white dude is pretty was pretty radical in the at the moment that he was writing because it was not really normal to write in English. It wasn't it wasn't normal to have, a, you know, a miller or, a, you know, a woman tell a story. Right. Like so this real underclass is speaking for themselves and um, kind of knocking it out of the aristocracy or the church. Right. Or the established institutions. And and that's what I do. And so um I have to teach them that that stuff is fun. And I think I've largely been really successful. But then there are other courses where, you know, I'm not going to like hit freshmen over the head with Middle English and Chaucer, right? They come in and they need to take some lower division, um, basic critical methodology class because um, there's a, it fulfills a core requirement in the common core, or they want to be an English major. And there's a version of it that's like a little keyed more to being an English major, or I'm doing it for a liberal arts honors program. Same course kind of like different versions of it fit in different um, parts of the university curriculum. Um, and I have to, you know, teach them some pretty boring stuff. And it's it's bad when you, you know, you don't get excited when you teach students who don't want to be in the room, right? That is not fun. So if I have to teach them critical reading, make them, you know, use research methodology methodologies, like look in the Oxford English Dictionary, and we're not looking for the meaning of the word, but we're looking for the kind of word it is. Where does it come from? Is it a highbrow French word? Is it a one-syllable Anglo-Saxon word? Is it, does it carry violence? Does it carry class and culture? Like, what are those connotations that it brings with it in its history that you really don't know when you're first looking at it? What is its core? What is it related to in Romance languages? If I'm going to do that with them and then 
you know, get them into reading critical articles, pulling apart an argument, thinking about the different kinds of arguments that can be made, what those methodologies are, how to take them apart, argue with them so that they can write. I have to do it with something that's fun. And so I'm always trying to take either the hardest or the most boring thing I have to teach and use some form of popular culture that students are drawn to and to show them that um, this works on what they enjoy as popular culture makes it richer, but also just using that popular culture will often get them to the classroom so that we can do this nuts and bolts work and not all go crazy being bored. And um, I've done it. I did it with Harry Potter for a number of years. And I did the exact same thing, got them in working with the OED, got them doing research, um, got them comparing Harry Potter to other more traditional forms of poetry narratives that uh, thinking maybe different kinds of approaches to um, reading a feminist approach, a Marxist approach, you know, um, asking different kinds of questions of a text and making it into a different book every time you approach it a different way. And then I got bored. And I got bored when we all got bored, right? Got bored in the pandemic because we were teaching online. You know, we were all freaked out. Um, we were all washing our groceries and we were on Zoom all the time and we were going nuts. And that year, um, you know, I, I, I got kind of got through it and I was coming back to teaching in person. And my daughter had been home from college for a year and a half. And she made us listen to a lot of Taylor Swift. And I liked Taylor Swift before, but I didn't really like her. And then Claire made us listen to, I, I think we were listening to Lover a lot. And then um, Claire went back to school and Swift dropped um, the re-recording of Red. And she would text me, Mom, what's your favorite song? 10 minute all too well, five minute all too well. What do you like from the vault? Da, 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 da. So I was like, okay, I've got to listen to this album really carefully. And started, I started listening to Red. And I think I was listening to the 10 minute version of All Too Well and thinking, oh, wow, this song is something else, you know, with um, just the, you know, the music, the chorus, the way she was sort of like intensifying the narrative, the imagery, how she was kind of moving from past to present and back again, playing with time and memory, all the kinds of things that I get really interested in uh, with poetry. And I thought, you know, what if I took, I got rid of Harry Potter, jettisoned that, and I did a Taylor Swift class. And she thought this was the greatest thing, right? Her friends went crazy and said, we would love this if we had this at Barnard. And I, my husband is also a professor in my department. And I asked him and I said, what do you think if I do it? And I was thinking of a year from now. What if I do it, you know, next? And he said, no, 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 right now, change it for the fall. And so I changed the course last spring and I just kind of, because um, it's a shell kind of class, intro to literary studies, I was able to just put in the new content. The assignments were pretty much the same. You know, it was like throwing a little bit of spaghetti at the wall, figuring out the readings, because I was like, well, this is interesting. And I was moving all over the place um, and doing some fun stuff. And then she made my day, right? Like she announces the new album, right? She starts winning all of these songwriting awards and she's got she's got all the film you know the film awards and the and the and the engagements kind of coming up right the toronto um the toronto film festival right and so all of that started happening like taylor swift moved from just being something you know popular and she's making some new music she made a couple of albums in the pandemic we all like grooved on that because nobody else was doing anything 
And then she kind of exploded right as I started teaching this class. And so those two things, you know, Taylor Swift made my day and then the, the media picked up the news of my class. And the two things kind of like, I don't know, it was like a harmonic convergence or a traffic. I don't know what it was. It was like really great. It just got a lot of attention um, in a really surprising way. So I wasn't trying to be this cool, but it just well, happened. We are certainly glad that you were because you, you there's a lot to unpack there, right? So, you know, you hear in business a lot that, oh, well, most businesses are more alike than they are dissimilar, right? And and mm -hmm. that's true, right? Well, teaching is very much the same way as well. And I just mm -hmm. keep laughing because I'm thinking I teach intro to physical therapy, which is like mm -hmm. our history, uh, how to advocate the APTA, our, our American mm -hmm. Physical Therapy Association, and what they do for us and all the boring ethics and laws and rules and all that, right? And that's an intro course. And I have to constantly try to kind of find ways to make that jazzy and make it fun and make it sexy, you know, mm -hmm. and it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, you know, like you said, there's just, there's a lot of cool things out there like, that we can use like podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not a go, you know, put on the suit and tie and go up to DC and shake hands and kiss babies. That's just not me, right? But- there are people that are, and I support the heck out of them. And one of the ways is through the podcast, right? Get their voices heard, get them out there, get support behind them, right? Make my donations to the pack, yeah. all that stuff. And then I give my students, you know, they have to join the APTA and become members while they're mm -hmm. students, at least. And then after that, it's up to them. And I tell them straight up, hey, look, I've got issues with the APTA. I am, you know, not a fan of how slow things move. It's a big organization. I'm just not, I don't like a lot of things they're doing. Mm -hmm. That being said, I've been a member for 19 years because I think right. it's the right thing to do. So, you know, it, I think it's engaging to have those conversations and to do things like podcasts, to look at things mm -hmm. like, you know, just out in left field. And and I really love that, you know, like you said, you took something from pop culture, you rolled with it and you just made a boring type topic into something just a little more interesting, a little more edgy, a little more sexy and things that students are, at the very least they're going to get excited about. Right. Yeah. And I, I think I try to do that a little bit with my advocacy piece where I tell them, hey, look, you don't have to be that shirt and tie or, you know, business power yeah. suit gal that goes up to D.C. And, and advocates for our field. Find the way that works best for you and then go advocate that way. That's something you're going to be passionate about. That's something you're going to, you know, get behind. So uh, I think that's been, you know, a cool parallel that I've I've had to learn is like as I'm learning to teach, it's like, how do I make this more interesting? How do I make a boring subject? you know, flip it on its head and make it at least interesting so they retain a little bit of it, right? Yeah. So that's that's excellent. So give us a little bit of a, an outline or a bit a little bit of a look. Tell us tell us what the Taylor Swift English course looks like. What is what is that? I'm sure it's ever evolving at, at it, this point, but Yeah. I mean, you know, it's well, it's over right now, right? So it's I just finished that first semester and I have this notebook full of notes about, you know, what I want to change and um what I want to try out the next time because it's not really you know, it's hard to explain. Like, I think what students really wanted, especially not the students I had, but the students who are constantly in contact with me on Instagram um, and whatnot, they all want it to be a course on Taylor Swift, like that yeah. she is the con the main content. And we're trying to figure out something about her discography or development or whatever. Now, it's not it's certainly the case that those ideas do come up and we wind up talking about them. And they wind up writing a little bit about them, but they were never really the purpose of the course right. in the first place. They're kind of incidental. Um, and so the the real the purpose of the course is skills based. The, the good thing about that means that I have been able to jump all over the place with Taylor Swift's music. 
I have not really followed any chronology. We do a song from this album and a song from that album because mostly I'm interested in, you know, bringing, um, you know, interesting uses of metaphor and simile one day or the kind of extended conceit. And how are how are these what seem like very autobiographical songs actually really fictional at the same time? Right. So we jump all over the place. And, you know, I tried to give the students also an introduction to poetic analysis um, I gave them a Shakespeare play to read, a novel, and a film. So I ran through all of the genres, and I moved from. I started out in the semester, in the early part of the semester, with poetry, um, with you know very formalistic readings of poetry. So working on you know what is a sonnet, and what are its component parts, and how do we think about it, knowing its structure, and what can that form do? Now let's look at a love song very much like a sonnet. And so what I was really trying to do is like, right, not everything tells a story of some kind, but not everything is a narrative, right? And so getting them to realize if you're telling the story of a particular moment, emotional moment over and over and over again, you might be telling the story of a breakup, but it's not like every minute of your life from the moment you met that person until the end. It's more like the story is a, is about a crisis uh, at that moment. So I want to say I was doing a lot of very formalistic analysis of poetry for maybe the first four or five weeks before we kind of jumped into like the I called it the Romeo and Juliet cluster, right, where we read Shakespeare's play. And I knew they all read it in high school. I think every everyone but one student read it in high school. And we talked about I want to say we talked about love story, the song that's alludes to Romeo and Juliet, but we also um, we also talked about other songs on Fearless that kind of like called upon the fairy tale romance trope and either used it or blew it up and debunked it, came at it from an ironic perspective. And we tried to like, you know, think about whether or not she was really rewriting that story or not rewriting that story or just kind of mining it and using it in a bunch of different places. And, you know, then we learned all about quotation and illusion and all these like very I want to say more nuanced ways to talk about the relationship of one text and another text rather than saying they are related, right? Which is like saying nothing, saying nothing, like what kind of relationship? Right. No, I love that because, you know, storytelling at its roots is the best way for us to learn, at least that, you know, that I've found it. And again, like I said, being an English major really served me well because I can tell stories of my patient care time and say, you know, hey, here's here's a story I saw. This is real life. And here's how it applies in the bigger picture to this one little thing that we're learning. You know, it may seem like an insignificant thing, but here's how a series of events led to this big, massive thing when, you know, all it took was somebody taking their time and really reviewing the chart and going over and finding this one little thing that could have saved, you know, hours and hours and hours of rehab, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I, I I love the fact that, you know, we're coming back almost full circle again to just how important storytelling can be, mm-hmm. both from a writer and and from, you know, any sort of artist standpoint, but also from the teacher's standpoint as well, right? I'm trying to show you different themes that come up, right, amongst right. different works of art. And those themes can be seen here in this methodology, here using this medium, and then here using this avenue, right? So like just just pulling those different themes together and showing them, like you said, whether it's supporting something or blowing something up and looking at it yeah. from a 
a different uh, perspective. And I think that really, I think, and I hope my students would agree that, that the storytelling helps with those shifts. It's not just read the book, learn this, come back and repeat it, right? That's yeah. just rote memorization, which I was guilty of for many years. Didn't realize that wasn't actually true learning. You know, we've got to come at it from that 30,000 foot view and be able to put common themes and ideas together uh, and really try to thread it, you know, amongst the the commonalities or separate it from the differences. So I think that I think you've hit on like two kind of really important um, different aspects of the same thing. So one is right. We have to be able to tell good stories. Like if you're going to explain to your student, you know, as a physical therapist, if you're going to explain to your patients what's wrong and why they're doing something, be, be, being able to tell this story well in a memorable way and way they understand is really important. The other thing, and I would say then that we often don't realize how important, I mean, people will say, oh, yes, writing is really important, but actually constructing a logical narrative. It's not even being argumentative in any particular okay. place, but constructing a, a, a logical narrative is is often it really important, can be very persuasive, whether you're selling something, explaining something, right? But also being detail-oriented yeah. and being able to say something, you know, my students, uh, I want to say, you know, in all beginning students, you, they overuse the verb to be. This is what I'm on them about all the time. Very rarely is something something else, right? It appears as something else, it works in a certain way, it's an, an, there's an analogy, there's a comparison, there's something, but it usually isn't, right? The, if you're a philosopher and you're Wittgensteinian, you might be, you know, or a Hegelian, you might be thinking about the order of being. Most often we are not talking in the order of being. And so getting them to be very detail oriented was um, part of this course. Now, you know, I can tell anybody, yes, to be an English major, a useless degree, as many people tell me, makes you a good storyteller can often make you a good writer and um, uh, make you make a good argument and can make you very, very detail-oriented. And when I say it that way, now an English major is applicable to everything, yeah. right? It is applicable to everything. And that's partly what I'm always trying to convince them, it, you know, and I have to, I, I haven't gotten a lot of flack for this course at all, but the couple of times that I have been like, you know, baited a little bit about it, they're like, oh, well, isn't this really a waste of money? And I'm like, you know, I don't think so because you're right that my students might not think much of Shakespeare, spend a lot of money on him. And they, most of them don't want to read modern and contemporary poetry because that's a kind of rarefied bird. But all of them are spending an incredible amount of money on a bunch of old fashioned rhyming poetry in their pockets. It's on their iPhone and this is it. So I think this is in a way showing them the literary value of this and why they're going to work at whatever job they're going to get to make money so that they can buy entertainment, you know, makes a lot of sense to me. It makes it, you know, and I'm always trying to like kind of capture that, that attention that this isn't, you know, some frivolous waste of time, but it's kind of the basis of what we, the way we work and honestly, what we're working for, because most of us, you know, after we get done putting food on the table and paying rent are working for our leisure. Yeah. And if, you know, if anybody has any doubt that English is a worthless major, you know, send them my way, because uh, again, I've turned it into a very lucrative uh, field, you know, both in patient care and in owning my own business and now in teaching full time. So, right. you know, again, going back to that narrative, right, whether it's writing, whether it's an orator or, you know, some sort of speech writer or giver, right, if, if mm -hmm. you can do public speaking, 
based on your thoughts and themes and ideas that you can yeah. write and put together, that can go a long way. That's very lucrative, you know? Um, and, and even going back to my patient care days, being able to have a conversation and move the conversation and weave in thoughts and ideas yeah. that's going to help them connect with what I'm trying to get them to do and why. I, I'm from New York, right? I didn't know anything about NASCAR when I moved down to North Carolina for, for college, right? And eventually, once I started working in North Carolina, I had a patient or two that was really into NASCAR, right? And so I had to learn about NASCAR to be able to have a conversation with them on Monday about like, how the shoulders doing, right? Or, you know, how's the hip doing? And it's like, I had to be able to make those connections of like, oh, did you see the race on Sunday? Like, yeah, it was a good race, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means. But man, when there was that accident in that corner there and like blew everything up, that's kind of like what happened in your shoulder there, right, man? That thing was a mess. Yeah. But now you've got it fixed. You hit the pit. You're back out again, you're racing. That's what yeah. rehab's trying to do is get you back to racing again, you know? And again, it's just being able to make connections, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like I said, there, there's a, a ton of different things that you can do with an English degree, as you can see, right? But, mm -hmm. but the moral of the story is, and, and we're going to get to this on the next question too, is how creative can you be with it, right? Because as long as you have the belief that, you know, oh, you can do anything you want. Yeah, sure. But as long as you believe in something, that at least gives you the courage to try it and give it a shot, right? Again, physical therapists as a podcast are not a very common thing. It, it's becoming more common. People are hatching on and seeing, hey, yeah, we can do this. We have the authority to do that because we believe that we can do that. We can mm -hmm. get good information across the airwaves to anybody who wants to listen based on our knowledge, our background, our, our degrees, our, our experience, you know? And that those stories and those those interactions that we've had over the years that can help other people, you know? And so it's, it's nice to see that. But what I love again, is the fact that you took the leap, you went for it. You went, you, you said, Hey, I'm just going to try this. Let's see what happens. And it worked, obviously, you know, it's, it, it seems like it was, it was very beneficial to your students. Let's talk a little bit about how, how did it go? What do you feel the students learned? How did they react? How did they respond? What were some of the things you saw that were maybe, you know, a surprise or that you kind of expected? You know, what I was really pleased with was that they were very game. So I gave them a first paper. And what I realized is that I really needed to have given them kind of shorter assignments earlier in the term, because as my first class of freshmen after like two years of the pandemic, right, I, they are all they were all online for a really long time. They're even I think they're even more a little bit behind in terms of writing than I was used to. So they handed in a paper and I started reading them and I was like, okay, whoa, 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 this is a nightmare. And I, and I just tossed them and I said, okay, we're not going to write a paper. We're going to write a paragraph. And so I went into school the next day and we were, we were analyzing last great American dynasty. And I was making them pick a word out of the song and look it up in the OED to find out like, you know, what kind of language was this? What kind of term was this? Um, and she's a great songwriter in that respect because she often does use very, I want to call it like she, you know, it's like her mother's diction, not really the diction of people her own age. You can, I can just tell she reads a lot and she talked to adults when she was a child, right? Like you can just, I can hear that in the expressions that she uses. And so we were thinking about some of that language in that song. And which which character would we have ascribed this to? Is this something that, you know, because when somebody transcribes a song, they don't fully punctuate it all the time. Right. So 
where should the quotation marks be? And should there be a comma somewhere? Where's the, where does this person stop speaking? Where is somebody, where is their free and direct discourse? So we were doing all that kind of stuff with that song. And I made them go and write me, like, just write me one coherent paragraph where you say more than you think you could possibly say about the dictionary definition of a word. And I gave them an, an example of it and they went and did it. We worked on that for about two weeks. I mean, some of them did three drafts and they were very, very game. Um, they completely trusted me that they needed to do everything my way. What I was really pleased that at the end of the semester, and I still think I made the same mistakes at the end with research, that is, I led them to databases to use, but I really didn't realize that they would not really understand how to use the online library catalog. Not that there's a ton of books about Taylor Swift. I mean, it's there's you have to dig a little bit and think sideways. Like you may have to use a book on confessional poetry in order to then understand like Taylor Swift as a confessional songwriter or something like that, right? But, and they won't go like out of the apartment and offline unless you make them like kind of scavenger hunt for you. But what I did really was amazed at is that they were really, really critical of her by the end of the semester. And I wasn't expecting that. Like, I thought I was going to have to keep, I was going to be fighting the sort of fangirl, nothing Taylor does is wrong. There's, there's nothing to be said about this. And they actually did a really good job of, you know, they didn't like rip her apart, but they were critical of some of the more commercial aspects of what she does, right? And, you know, is this necessary? And is this too much? And, you know, we talked a lot about her swearing and her later music and, you know, what did they think about what did they think about that? And um, so they were they were really doing some good critical thinking at that point and asking, you know, intelligent questions, not simply in defensive mode the whole, whole time. And that made me um, that made me pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to like Vygotskyanism, right, where you kind of build them up mm -hmm. with a scaffolding early on. Right. And then you pull it down and let them, you know, push them out of the nest and let them fly right. on their own a little bit. Right. You know? So it's, it's nice to see that. And and like you said, to critically analyze her work as a songwriter, as a poet, mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a writer, not as, like you said, like, you know, Taylor Swift, the, you know, pop goddess, right? It's, mm -hmm. it, it's not whether you're a fan or not. It's like, let's take a look at the piece of work, which, I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could get down is just being able to separate the artist from the work, right? Yeah. But critical thinking and getting to that point is such a huge huge aspect these days because i'm seeing kids in grad school even who can't really critically think very well and it's like how did we get this far along without really being able to to get through the critical thinking and i you know i think education is 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 a bit of a mess right now which is is kind mm -hmm. of you know that leads us to our, our final question here but you know we kind of ask all of our our guests uh this this one big looming question and and that's if you could change one aspect of higher education what aspect would you change and how would you change it? Yeah. You know, that's really, really a hard question because, um, so like I have two kids. I want to say the younger one graduated in May and the older one graduated a year before that and or two years before that. And I'm trying to think, like, what would I change in higher ed? What makes um, higher ed difficult for people. It always like pushes me back into the high school and grade school curriculum. I mean, I always feel like whenever I want to answer those questions, it's I want to change kindergarten. Yeah. I don't really want to change anything else. Like I want to change fourth grade. I think I want kids to realize that it's not really all about the grade. There's very little in life that's like, you know, I'm like, you can graduate with a 4.0 and it means nothing. 
right? Like grade inflation is so, so terrible. They're so anxious about their grades. Um, You know, so I had to tell them really early in the class, you could get an A in this course and never get an A on any assignment from me, right? Like, you know, I'm going to, they came all the time. They did all the work. they, They did everything as many times as I asked. They tried their best over and over again, right? And I'd be like, no, revise it again. Why don't you take another stab at it? And they would do it. They would do it. I had kids on Zoom over the Thanksgiving break talking with me while they were home about their papers. And I'm like, you will get a very good grade in this course because you, you know, they, they don't miss class. They're terrified like Taylor Swift might show up, right? They're, they're totally terrified to miss class. Um, and so I, I said, you know, the cost of me giving you that final grade that you are so nervous about, and I'm telling you not to worry about it because you're all going to do great, is I'm going to tell you exactly what I think about your work in, in pretty unvarnished terms. Now, they're polite terms, but what I don't do is I don't, I don't give them the compliment sandwich, as they call it, right? Like, which I know from high school, they're like, well, you're supposed to say something nice and then put a little criticism in there. And I'm like, no. You know, like I am not here to tell you that everything is great. I'm here to show you it's writing. It can always be made better. I think, I don't know if it's the problem of higher ed. I mean, look, if I could wave a wand and do something, I I did tease them about this a little bit one day. I said, you need 30 minutes when you're not on any electronic device whatsoever. No phone, no earbud, you know, no AirPods, no nothing. Like do not, I want you to like get off of everything. So and it's that it's that when they're not in class and they're not talking to somebody and they're not whatever, they immediately check one of six social media sites. And I'm like, the smartphone has made you completely stupid. Right. You don't know how to do anything because Google will tell you everything that you need. You need to know. But you don't. The real problem is, is that without Google being there, you kind of like don't know how to formulate the questions on your own. Right. Google almost auto auto fills the question for you. And so it's not, it's kind of like not knowing how to look for what you don't know. Like, I know you know how to find a book if I tell you, go find a book by this person or this title. But what if you don't know what the title or the author is and you only know like an idea? You've got to like look for that and you may not have the right search term. You may have to find it by, you know, going through a bunch of things. So I, I had to, I had to um, come up with a lot of, like multi-part assignments for them where they would screw up and then go kind of learn how to go sideways to figure out how to get on the right track. And and that takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of time. I mean, I don't know if I did a great job of answering how would I fix higher education. It's like I would, I think I would deaden the um the internet in some places and make yeah. them go like old school in a blue book for a for a time being. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. I mean, we just presented at a leadership conference uh, for healthcare education about financial literacy and how that should start at like preschool even. And and from here yeah. on, you know, because again, we're coming out with student loans that are absurd, right? They're, um they are. And, and so but but kind of leaning back into that, I I still give like paper documents on occasion and have them do it in class and have them do writing assignments. Yeah, yeah. And and I tell them like, look, there's studies out there that show if you handwrite your notes, you will learn this stuff better. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even if you're handwriting it on a tablet, like let's just get your handwriting back and let's get into, right. I mean, I still, I love technology. I, I'm hooked. I'm addicted. However, yeah. I still have a yellow legal pad that I keep a lot of my notes on and I yes. transfer them the document eventually, right? To Google Docs. So I have it available mm-hmm. at all times. So 
you know, a lot of my best ideas come on a little, you know, notepad that I keep in my top pocket or on my, my yellow legal pad. You know, I'm a little bit old school that way, but it just helps. They're going to you know? have to learn how to, they're going to have to learn how to write in cursive again yeah. In, yeah. Um, in grade school. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, that would be one of the things that right. I would. How do you sign a document? Go back and do, right? Yeah. They print. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not. print. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I, I just, I think we do need to unplug a little, we need to get grounded again, get out in nature, like do the little things, mm-hmm. you know, that just kind of keep us human, you know, keep us, keep us uh, regulated, so to speak. Yeah. So I appreciate that answer. Thank you so much for that. And Dr. Okay. Scala, thank you so much for coming on and for talking to us about, again, just outside the box teaching and learning. Where can people find you if they want to follow up with you or just ask questions about uh, all things Taylor Swift and and English related? Sure. I am very easy to find on the University of Texas um, website. If they just type in my name, they'll be able to find me um, pretty easily. But also I have Instagrammed every class. Um, So you can find me on Instagram at SwiftyProf. Awesome. We'll put all those links in the show notes so it's easy for everybody to find. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Bye-bye.